0: I'm Gretchen Bridgers of the Always a Lessons Empowering Educators podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com.
1: Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I have... Probably one of the most awesome interviews I think I've ever had. Liam D'Elysiums and Scott Harding founded Prac-E in Australia in 2018. It's an organization focused on helping the classroom teacher. Lots to learn. Like I said, I think the best conversation I've ever had. They were so much fun to talk with. By the way, don't forget to share and subscribe. Thanks for being here. Enjoy. Enjoy.
2: You are listening to Teaching Learning Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show.
1: Pracky is an initiative to support beginning teachers through best-in-class digital media and in-person symposium events. Pracky is made by teachers. For teachers, Pracky was founded in 2018 in Australia by Liam D. Elysiums and Scott Harding after they could not withstand the growing statistics of the teacher drought any longer. Pracky is connected with some of Australia's leading universities and also independently runs several Pracky symposiums where a varied panel of educators aim to demystify the profession for beginning teachers in a Q&A format. Pracky also creates regular digital media such as hashtag Anything and TeachHack. Challenge video series, as well as the Prakki podcast. Through this content, Pracky has connected with several notable people to spread its message. This exposure includes a primetime story feature on the national ABC News, collaborations with influential teacher media creators, as well as guest appearances on the Teachers Need Teachers podcast and EduMagic podcast in the U.S. Pracky's aim is to support beginning teachers to create a budding community and to bring an end to the teacher drought. Today we've got uh, Liam and Scott with us, and so let me tell you a little bit about Liam. Liam D. Elysiums is an education entrepreneur, academic researcher, registered teacher, and a postgrad master student from Australia. After seeing firsthand the dismal state of affairs of beginning teachers across the world, Liam co-founded Prac-E to help find a solution to the teacher drought. Liam has had a varied experience during his short time in the teaching profession, from being a residential tutor in one of Brisbane's largest private schools, to volunteering his time to support uh, some of Australia's lowest socioeconomic students. Liam hopes to be an agent of change in the educational sphere to disrupt the status quo and challenge traditional ideals of pedagogy and student care. Scott Harding has been dubbed the educational all-rounder due to his wealth of experience in the teaching profession. Through his twenty two plus years in the classroom, Scott has had first hand experience in every type of school you could imagine from co-ed single sex private public in both his home country of England and Australia. Scott has had an un, has an undying uh, passion for Boy, <laughs> if you say those words the wrong way, it comes out a totally different meaning. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I might do, just,
2: just I'm not going to mess it on
1: here. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Scott has an undying passion for mentoring beginning teachers and has begun numerous ventures to send the elevator back down. Scott has a seemingly never-ending supply of poignant anecdotes, practical advice, and entertaining stories, all of which carry important lessons for beginning teachers. Scott is currently a senior teacher in one of Brisbane's quickest-moving independent schools and teaches English and French at the secondary level level. Liam and Scott, thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone.
0: Hello everyone in America. We're back again. It's it's every time I, we do... We
2: you make so, us sound like a recurring illness. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. Every time we do one of these podcasts in America, I literally, I say it every time, but I have to pinch myself that um, that not only uh, do the issues that we face here in Australia are also poignant in the United States, but the fact that you know we can have enough sway to Talk people in America, and it's it's amazing. So thank you so much for having us on. It's lovely to be on. Uh,
2: lovely to meet you. all.
1: Well, we're glad to have you here, and uh, and I, we don't think that you're an infection or anything like that. So we're like, <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: good to hear. That's
1: good to hear. So so before we get started, Scott, you're from England, and Liam, you're from Australia, and yes. you know, can we talk a little bit about uh, you know what's something that high school teenagers as students in Australia and England have in common?
2: (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about this one literally just before we went on air. And I said, I I suppose one of the cultural differences between, um, or at least what we perceive American students to be like, and the way that our home countries are like, is probably our kids are a little bit more deadpan. Does that make sense? It's a bit like watching the office. You ever seen the office TV series? Love it. (laughs) Imagine teaching them. That's what you've got. So you've got to try and fire our kids up a little bit. Um, they'll tend to sit there and, Receive information otherwise. Do you know what I mean? Um, yes. you, I mean, you get two extremes. You get the, the passive class or the rowdy class. So the rowdy class, you've got to tamp down, and they're a little bit like, um, you know, I, I've used Mad Max as an analogy before to you off air. Um, imagine that. So you've got that extreme where you've got very, very passive. And so you've got to either try and liven them up or just calm them down. Um, it's, it's that natural enthusiasm is probably not there. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. you know?
0: As a part of the millennial generation, it's kind of a, we're stuck in an impasse, basically, where I think traditionally Australia, because we're part of the Commonwealth, I think traditionally probably mimic England a little bit, especially the private schools, the kind of, they almost look some, like something out of Monty Python, almost. <laughs> um, but the younger people probably from social media um, and movies and the internet are starting to be a bit
2: Americanized. I think students, I mean, culturally, I think students are quite homogenous, I think... You could find an Australian student would come to America and they'd adapt very quickly. Because a lot of them, the fashion, the music, the social media use, et cetera, is, 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 is global, isn't it? Let's be honest. So, I think if you're talking about their interests outside the classroom and socially speaking outside the classroom, you'd find their behavior is quite homogenous. Inside it, you find that they, they revert to type, I think. Mm. Really.
0: Australia, I'll probably say Australia, um, we're a bit hard to please. I know when musical acts come out, when that's true. Or comedians come out. They always get a bit shocked that we don't yeah. shout and yell and clap yeah. straight away. You kind yeah. of have to work <laughs> us over a little bit. And I think that's in the classroom as well, um, especially dealing with the, the podcasts in America. I love the American enthusiasm. Absolutely. Whereas um, in Australia, there's a bit of a kind of a probably – might be a bit of a generalisation but there is a, a bit of a holding on to the status quo of oh this is the way we've always done things i suppose because we're just a massive island there is a
2: little bit of the australia bubble australia's a bit contrary as a place too um if you look at its history with the convicts and the guards etc that that element is still there and particularly in education we've got people who make rules for everyone and it's really really rigid and then other people are just flagrantly the rules So you can still have that, you still got that mentality still there basically. And, um, it's the same with, same with, um, I suppose you you look at somebody famous who comes out here and they get booed sometimes, don't they? Which is actually a compliment to Australia. Yeah. So it's, it's the reverse. It's it's
0: also a problem for Australia. And it's something that's facing Australian universities and beginning teachers as well as that Australia's best and brightest usually don't stay in Australia. No, Um, They go off, um, because we've got a lot of expats over here, they usually go back to their countries in Europe or Britain or go off to America where they think things move a bit faster. Um, So Australia, it also has that bit of a reputation that we're just one big country town where things move a little bit slower. Uh, We get movies like a year after they're released in America. And that's kind of a encapsulates the, I suppose, the feelings of Australia as a country as well. So that's a, that's a problem that we have over here is that, anyone that's a bit of a mover and a shaker thinks that they have to leave the country to make it.
2: I suppose historically we've had cultural lag. I think I'd I'd probably take a slightly different tack with that. I think we're starting to to catch up. But one of the things that's very interesting for us is that we do have a lot of very forward thinking younger people. So obviously when we're educating them and we're educating them to think in a global way, not just an Australian way, that can be a challenge because you're an island. Do you know what I mean? And you have that island mentality in both Britain and in Australia where, and you've just seen it with the British election, with the result there, where they voted to basically close the borders. It's essentially what they voted for. You know what I mean? They right. want to just look after themselves first and Europe second. You know what I mean? And right. that's the decision they've made. And, and you, you can get that insularity in some places, particularly yeah. in the regional areas here, um, where you look at it and go, that needs to be challenged a little bit. It needs to be opened mm-hmm. up a little bit. And that can be, you know, you're dealing with ingrained attitudes at that point. So you have to you have to adopt... Quite clever strategies to try and loosen people up a little bit.
0: I also think the fact that we're talking to each other right now, maybe we're more uh, closer than we think I or think we give are. ourselves granted. I, I think. We are. I think if you could, especially um, like you were saying, young people in Australia—they go to a lot of different countries. I think there's the, the problems that we'll talk about in this podcast and, and the cultural. I mean, we're probably 99% similar, and then that one percent is just maybe little yeah. cultural differences here or there. But I think there's a lot of collegiality between the United States, Britain and Australia. So I think there's probably, we're probably more similar than we think.
2: One of the things that's very interesting and having spoken to Kim and to to Samantha on on, um, other podcasts is the, the commonality of problems, the commonality of issues that face teachers um, across countries. is very, very similar. Um, So irrespective of the cultural um, approach of the students, you know, the nature of our profession, I suppose, indicates there there are some pressures. administrative pressures or behavioral pressures or um, time management pressures um, that are very, very similar across countries.
1: Very awesome. I, you know, it's, it's funny cause I've listened to um, so many different podcasts and you and, and uh, episodes on the YouTube channel and so forth that you guys have. And, and uh, one of the things that becomes very obvious is that exactly is that we have uh, quite a bit in common and uh, you hear uh, some of it, there may be some, a slightly different accent or certain words used a little differently, but, uh, you know, it's, it's similar issues and problems. And we're going to get into some of that here in just a minute. But before we do that, I have to say this, this is kind of, this is really cool. So mm. Liam, you were Scott's student.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes. And he still graduated. It's a miracle. <laughs>
1: and he still graduated. Nice. Yeah. Any, any stories there? Come on. So, <laughs> either I've, got direction. One.
2: I've got one. I've got one. Um, I was teaching in Frankenstein. Um, we were doing the play version of Philip Pullman writes in year nine, so that's, that's ninth grade here, would be 14, 13, 14. Okay. And <laughs> Liam, Liam's sitting at the back of us. class, and I'm talking, <laughs> I was trying to, They were, they were your, your classic damp Australian class, it was sort of fairly late in the day, they weren't, they weren't all that into Frankenstein, which I was surprised by. And so I'm trying to stimulate some kind of discussion with them, and I'm going, look, can you think of any other text where the monster turns on his creator? And Liam put his hand up and went, Flabber, sir. <laughs> yeah. The classic Robin Williams movie. Flubber. Flubber. Of the, really, <laughs> of all the things. Nice. Yeah. Because everyone just cracked up laughing. He's <laughs> been a disruptor since he was young.
1: Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Scott. Scott. Uh, Scott was at BBC. Was the, the school that
2: I. <laughs> <laughs> Flabber, sir,
0: was the school that I went to, um, and he was the English one of the uh, more senior English teachers there. And yeah, probably when I got there, I was about... What year did you start there?
2: Oh, 2000... Oh no, what was it? 2003.
0: Okay, so I, yeah. I came there first in 2006. Um, so, we had... Um, Scott always puts on a bit of a mask when he's I'm doing <laughs> the lunchtime <laughs> duties. Yeah, so, yeah, I thought he was really yeah. stern and really mean, especially with his big, belting, Henry VIII kind of voice. he's nice. <laughs> so, nice. Mask, yeah, so nice. Um, I... I was always a bit scared of Scott, basically. And then, and then the, we had a teacher, um, Mr. Noble, you, you'd remember, and yes. he, he left. Um, and then we were halfway through the term and then we didn't know who our teacher was going to be. We were kind of just chilling in the English... Classroom before, and I could just make it. Probably didn't happen, but I remember the door just slamming, a boom, <laughs> and then the Scott silhouette, master silhouette, <laughs> standing in the door. He's um, making this up. Anyway, he's making, <laughs> it, making it up. <laughs> <laughs> and just walking in, and we went, "Oh no!" But then uh, it turned out to be, you know, um, Scott was one of the probably the better teachers that I, I had when I was at school. Um, the Frankenstein unit is something that I remember fondly. <laughs> and we had, a, we had a lot of fun. There was one <laughs> one day the, um, at BBC, it's very private schooly. Um, so when the grade 12s graduate, the whole school has to do the Guard of Honour and all that type of usual stuff. Um, and we went to the class first and then we're going off to the Guard of Honour. But one house just went straight to the Guard of Honour, so they were a bit late. And then Scott said, I'm going to wind them up here. I'm going to pretend I'm really mad about it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's right, yeah.
0: That was good fun. So he came in and then the, the kid went, hello, sir. And Scott, hello, where have you been? <laughs> Just for about five
2: minutes.
0: <laughs> and everyone else was fully on board with it. I, we dragged, all... I dragged him
2: out in the big water for about 15 minutes. It was good fun. And
0: then, he, and then he's like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. And then he went, that's fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh,
0: and then we all cracked up laughing about that so yeah we had a lot of fun in the class and um, scott showed me that there are different ways of talking about content rather than just
2: cut and dry well i think because um, i teach english and, and boys can be very resistant to reading you know what i mean so yes i think that's the kindest way of putting it isn't it and um so you've got to try and bring it to life somewhere particularly if you're doing something quite old like shakespeare you know you've got to you've got to address the content differently than just simply reading the play out loud. It's not gonna that's not gonna cut it. Not and particularly not, I don't think, with modern students. I think in the last five years education's changed radically, and the nature of the, the students has changed radically in terms of the way they choose to learn or wish to learn, just in the last five years alone. So, you know, the way that it used to work five, six, seven, eight years ago, even back in Liam's time, just doesn't work now. Mm. So you've got to adapt all the time. That's I suppose one of the first messages you would give a beginning teacher, isn't it? Is the idea of adaptability and I guess that's why the dropout rate is as high as it is in the first five years, It's that continually having to adapt. Mm. You know?
0: When I started school, I was, I was always in the transition, middle everything. Um, when I started school, it was the pen and paper. And then when I was graduating, it was every kid had an iPad. Yes. So I went through kind of the different ages of man, just within <laughs> my own time. That caused its own
2: issues, like the iPads cause their own
0: issues. And Scott was the first teacher that said, well, why don't we take advantage of that and if you can show your understanding in different ways rather than just writing it down on a piece of paper that's fine for me and I really appreciated that so I remember one uh, assignment we had to do we could just write a speech or we could actually perform like almost a audio play like a podcast um, about a someone's perspective from World War II something along those lines um, and that was fantastic and something I still do today where if a student can show their understanding I don't really care what matter it takes as long as it's markable um there's no reason why someone can create a picture and justify it or they can write an essay if they want to or perform a speech or perform a play um so yeah scott was the first teacher that i had that showed that that can be a tool that you can have for pedagogy you can actually take those students that may be d d students all the way up to you know c b a students
2: well, i think it's understanding that you need to demonstrate rather than and the skill then comes from that Mm. Doesn't it? I think you know. Sometimes we try and focus on the basic skills before they they reach that level of understanding. So there's all you know. You might be able to read and write but if you can't think or say anything. It's a fairly redundant exercise in some respects. So it depends on the, the perspective you approach. I suppose. Mm. Um, have you found that with in America with um, pen and paper use is is it is it decreasing? Is it declining? Is it is it still enshrined?
1: I think that uh, you got to a little bit of uh, all of the above, you know, it depends on which person's wow. classroom you're in. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's one of the, the difficult aspects of it. Cause I, I you know, it's funny. Like I remember, uh, um, you know, when, when you talk about the, the transition of things, there's some who uh, think that everything should be digital and, uh, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, You know, technology is everything and and should be everything where I don't know if I'm quite on that planet because I I think we need to have a mixture of it in there. Um, Mm, Yes, I agree. Like like I may like using technology, but I still have paper journals and I write my thoughts and reflect on things in my paper journals. So, but the, uh, um, and then you got others who, you know, kind of on that planet of, commuters that's a fad man we got Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's going away one day and uh Mm -hmm. before it takes my job so but Mm -hmm. you know it's uh so i think it just depends on the person um you know who who, that uh, personality who is in that classroom because it is it's a it's a little bit of all the above actually as an answer so it's an interesting thing you know um and i and i want to get into some more about technology but by the way i just want you to know that um thanks to a comment that you made earlier i think scott I, I, I have stuck in my head the School of um, the Ministry of Silly Walks. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: indeed. Indeed. Indeed.
1: Indeed.
0: Yes. And I was watching um, The Meaning of Life the other day and they nice. have a whole section on private schools and it was just, it was a flashback to that time. There was a, the John Cleese gets up and he goes, now boys, two boys were seen this morning rubbing linseed oil into the school cormorant. Now the school cormorant is out of bounds
2: <laughs> Need I not tell you the importance that's of the that's to the school's school culture? To, I went to school in England. I went to France. Oh, it's terrifyingly similar. It's, it's, terrifying it's Yeah, it is. It's not even funny. No, it's not, it, it's, it's almost it's straight satire. <laughs> it is literally. Very
1: they get nice. it
0: spot on. Yeah. yeah.
1: Nice. The, so, you know, one of the things that uh, I got to make sure I ask, because you, you have different experiences here. What's really cool is that, uh, you know, one was, one student the other one was the teacher and but you know what's so great about what what do you think is awesome about working with kids
2: their endless possibility for, for for showing you something i would suggest that's the first thing i think i think one of the first things you would say to any beginning teacher is don't assume you're the font of all knowledge very <laughs> often you aren't you're learning as much as they're learning and I, i've adapted and learned from a lot of the students that i've i've taught in my time and i think Sometimes you do, you get to see different perspectives of the same event and it's fantastic. So you might be teaching a unit and then they perceive it in a very, very different way to the way you're intending for it to be perceived. And you go, actually, we'll roll with that. We'll go with that. That's very interesting. And you go off in a very interesting new direction. It's one of the few professions I can see where you can feel energized at the end of the day, as much as you feel drained. People always talk about fatigue and teachers and that's very true over the course of the year. But there are also days where I've gone into school feeling dog tired and come out buzzing. And a lot of that is down to the fact that the young people you work with um, have a real capacity for being, you know, for bringing that positivity out in, in, in adults. And I think that's very often if you encounter problems in education, it's very rarely the children. It's very rarely the students. It's very usually, often the adults. It's not actually the students. Right. That's what I find. Mm. Um, you know, so look, the honest truth is working with them is usually a delight, you know. Mm. And I think that's one of the first things you also would say to the beginning teachers to examine whether or not you like hanging around teenagers and developing opinions that are different to your own. Because if you find that challenging, you might find the next five years very, very challenging. Mm.
0: One thing that I like about working with young people is seeing that journey about finding themselves. We were, yes. talking, we were joking about the fussiness of private schools just then and when I was at school, um, that affected me quite negatively. Um, as you said in my bio, I do like to challenge the status quo Whereas some schools, probably traditionally, this might be a generalisation as well, is that you have to conform. In in Australia, we all wear uniforms. Um, we all have to do the school watch, um, school chant, and things mm. like that, and sing hymns,
2: and it's all. That's very, where it's very different to America. I suppose you have that military
0: aspect in America that's maybe a bit stronger. Yeah. Um, when, when schools are a bit probably more military based, and it's that's something that didn't suit me much. Um, I've always kind of been a bit alternative, a bit progressive, and it was quite negative in that space In when I was maybe 14, 15, 16. So I went and left that school and went to an alternative school that did, um, it was called Music Industry College. Um, it's a fantastic school and everything, it was free dress um, and students were trusted to be adults. It was like university light almost. You could go off campus, and we were in the middle of the city as well. You could just go off campus during, we had spare periods as well. Um, and you were trusted to be an adult. and Everything was based around the music industry. So maths was budgeting a, a band for a concert tour, or English was writing a feature article about a band that changed the world. Um, and you're encouraged to be quite entrepreneurial and find different things. So when I was in my short time, and I've been in the classroom, and my the best thing I love about working with young students is seeing students that may perhaps... Be feeling like that themselves maybe disenchanted with school or society in general um maybe having some problems at home or things of that nature and haven't really truly found themselves um so one thing that i really appreciate is maybe that pastoral care element where you can show that school isn't just a place where you get yelled at for not doing the right thing or saying that you've just failed and you're not good enough i think schools are just as uh something that's just as important for schools is helping those students find themselves find their interests and seeing where they fit in with the world and and being that avenue for them to experiment with different things i think that's something that i truly appreciate about working with young people
2: and the more you can connect education to to the students real lives the better the results are going to be that bespoke education I mean, that's really important, I think. I mean, how do we not know that the cure for cancer isn't walking around in a lower socioeconomic neighborhood in Chicago somewhere? We don't. They're right. Do you know
1: what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got that right.
2: You know? So that's the thing. You look at it and go, it's a duty, I suppose, that we have intrinsically, as you will understand, to, to try and extract that potential. And that's where the, the juice is. That's where the fun is, you know, in, in the profession. And how you choose to go with that, obviously you have to work within constraints, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. But, you know, that's, that's the challenge of the profession, isn't it? That's, that's what we all get up for in the morning.
1: That's awesome. You know, it's it, because the best thing ever about, uh, teaching is working with the kids and, and not only working with the kids, but being able to create those opportunities where, and it's, it, it Liam, I'm sorry, that you know, cause it's, I wish you hadn't had that experience where, cause it does, it can. And some people, some adults world, it is all about just yelling at them and telling them you know, what they're not doing right. And it's like, mm. that's not what it should be. It should be because the best part ever is when they, when something happens and you kind of take a, you know, to, to quote, a, a famous rabbit um, took a should have taken a right turn at Albuquerque or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like one of those yeah. things that, uh, um, and it's cool because when you can do that and you're not uh, dominated by, you know, whatever standardized testing company is uh, dominating things at the time. It's, it's cool because uh, you can have those learning moments where you actually get to see, you know, it's funny. I have a, um, and I I have it in my office too. I'm looking at it right now, but it's, I have two toys that I used to keep in my classroom um, that were the great, great equalizers. One is uh, um, a 3d chess set. And I'm not very good at chess, but uh, I try. <laughs> that's good. that's <laughs> and whenever, good. And whenever I had kids who were really good at it, i go, now you got to play me at this, all right? And they go, oh, yeah. this is cool. And yeah, and, you know, they challenge them to think a little I'm a Trekkie, and that was the closest I could get to the one that Spock and Kirk used to play all the time. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and then the other one is uh, um, the the battling robots, the, uh, for some reason I'm drawing a blank on what it's the, called. The Rock'em Sock'em. Rock'em Sock'em robots, there we go, yeah. that's it. And, oh, uh, brilliant. The kids would come in. They go, "What's that?" Because I'd I'd keep it hidden for a while, then I'd bring it out. Mm, and I, mm. I I'd say, "This is not video game." <laughs> right? yeah, and, right, right. and in the beginning, I'd have to lose on purpose just to keep from <laughs> yeah, yeah. having a, some of them's day messed up. But you know, it's 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 interesting because you, when you're working with kids, there's so many opportunities that because uh, they're so they're all so different, and you know, it's just like you said. You were just saying a sec, a little bit ago, Scott. I think sometimes it's the, uh, the the adults are, you know, you're thankful that you got the kids and that you're working with them because the adults might. Not oh, be look,
2: sometimes we can we can all intentionally be barriers. I'm sure teachers can be as well. You know, once you get too ossified into a, a way of teaching or a style of learning where you don't want to change or adapt, I've seen that happen quite a lot with with people who are probably contemporaries of mine, twenty odd years into the profession, where you know that something will come along, they don't want to change. They're literally right. no. I'll literally say that in the middle of a meeting and you go, you can't, you know, well, the only constant in life has changed. You don't need to like it. But you do need to adapt. It's your duty. Mm-hmm. So.
0: You mentioned just before, Steve, that the, the great equalizer, um, it just made me think that one problem that I see, um, one issue that faces teachers is that they have that role um, that all comes along with it. And maybe the traditional views of being a teacher is that person that yells at you or says that you can't do something. So especially when you're dealing with low socioeconomic students um, or students from a different culture, like Indigenous students, Indigenous uh, Aboriginal students here in Australia, or someone from a different culture, when you go into a classroom, you inherently have all that baggage that comes along with that role as well. Yes. Um, Especially if the students maybe had issues in the past, maybe they've been in and out of juvenile detention centre, or if there's problems at home or there's something along those lines. They see you as the role. They don't see you as an actual human being. They see you as that authority figure. Uh, when I was working at the boarding house, that was something that, I, I, that affected me as well. Cause I liked that pastoral care relationship with students. Yet my role was basically just to be the cop and walk around but it and tell people ways. not to do
2: that, something. That also works both ways mm. because it also inoculates you against taking things personally. person. Mm. So very often students will see Mr. Harding and they won't see Scott. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, it makes perfect sense.
2: Yeah, and my daughter goes to the school that I teach at. So that's another barrier, right? So she's in, um, she's in year eight. She's just got a leadership role next year for ninth grade. Um, but she's done that independently of me, and I tend to stay out of her way when she's at school. But people also know me as her dad. Does it make sense? There's three roles for me at this school now. And you've got to be very, very distinct as to how you compartmentalise that in your mind. So if you're going to the school to talk as a parent, you're not there as a as teacher anymore, you know? So you've got to switch, you've got to flip that switch in your mind, and you've got to go with it because it's just professional um, conduct, isn't it? That's the point. Mm-hmm.
0: Very much so, so. I, think, I think talking to kids, breaking down those barriers, having the rock and sock and robots or the chess, or even just talking to them about Star Trek or the footy on the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's it's the beautiful thing about teaching is breaking down those barriers. And I think that's one thing that probably beginning teachers should really focus on about finding themselves as a teacher.
2: They need to see you as
0: human. Exactly, and I think that, that helps you so much if you come in as just Mr. Authoritarian. You learn if, you're, if your classroom is based off fear, it's I think you're never going to get those, those. I mean, the people that achieve in your class probably would have only achieved anyway. You'll get,
2: you'll get compliance, perhaps, but you won't get any results.
0: Yeah. And you won't get that respect either, that mutual respect.
1: That's the, and I think you're so spot on because that's, that's something that it, it takes time to develop that um, as a teacher, uh, but it also takes the wanting to develop that because mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've got it because that can be challenging as you're trying to connect with them at the same time because yeah. of those different roles that you play. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, you never know when you're going to run into that child who's actually trying to figure out when they can use that relationship to oh, rescue yeah. them from it's, their problems. It's,
2: it's also a dance though, isn't it? It's a dance yes, between it and them. It's a <laughs> dance. Because they're that side of the line, you're this side of the line. You've got to remember that as well, is, is, is that you're the adult in the room. Do you know what I mean? So nice. you, can't, you can't be, listen, call me Scott, everybody. You can't do that either. Because no. the, students don't, the students don't want that at the end. They want, to be, they want to know that you're going to lead them. But at the same stage, it's a bit like, having, I've got two Pomeranian dogs, right? And they think they run the roost here, and I've got to try and remind them continually, no, 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 this isn't the way this works. And they try to be cute, they try to manipulate you, and you go, no, no, no. It's the same, it's the same thing with students. It's the same thing. And I think as a beginning teacher, that's something
0: that you struggle with a lot, is that maybe you just fall into that traditional grammar of what you understand to be a teacher and you walk in on crack. What you experience. Um, yeah, or what you experienced yourself, and you start shouting at kids or you start being that authoritarian. And you're not like that naturally and the thing about students is that they are very smart and they can they have a good bs detector (laughs) i like to call it and they can they can see right through you as well if it's an act in any way shape or form even if you're naturally quite a dour authoritarian and you try to be mr fun guy i think you have to be truly yourself because students see through it in a second and then as soon as they see that you're not being authentic, that, that trust is gone. And that I've always said this, and, and
2: Liam also incidentally was also um, a student teacher of mine. So he, I mentored him when he came through and started um, training. Nice. And one of the first things I said was, you don't have to 100% copy your mentor's style. You take what you need, as a grab bag. You take what you need from that style, and go, well, that works for my personality. That probably not so much, you know? And you learn, you learn from different influences, just as a musician would learn from listening to different music, um, and then they'd find their own flavor. It's the same thing with teaching. Teaching is about finding your own personal individual brand or flavor and, and going with it and developing it over time and finding the professional development you need to do that as well.
0: That's Steve, awesome. You're a, you you started off in the classroom and then you ended up in kind of admin principal world. Was that a struggle for you when you went into the leadership world as not being Mr. Principal is actually being a genuine person?
1: Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, and, and just as a note, I, I, you know, as a as a teacher, I became an assistant principal in the same school where I'd been a teacher for a few mm-hmm. years, and I was right. I I was the I, I like doing costumes and stuff like this, and trying to figure out how to make because as a history teacher, the kids come pre pre uh, um, programmed to come in and say, "Do we have to know this?" You know, and yeah, <laughs> of course, I do, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And so you, and so my whole idea was uh, figuring out how to get them involved and we do role play games stuff like this and then I become <laughs> the authoritarian in the building and yeah. uh, um, and that was interesting because I think they gave me it I ended up moving schools and that kind of challenged me to see whether it, you know I got um, the kids cut me some slack as well as parents because they knew me as a teacher in that one building or not but as a principal it was very interesting because one of the things that I ran into was uh, right away because I went to places that hired me to to make change of some kind and uh, um, and so going there I had to in some cases and and especially one case in particular where we had to get uh, violence that was in the school under control first so we could focus on the academics and get the kids safe and one of the things that uh, that required me to be the sheriff in town and to hire people who could do that and um, and the teachers were looking for that sort of thing so they could do the things they wanted to and what was interesting in that situation though, is that I, you really need something to, to bring you, to keep you human (laughs) when you're doing something like that and not see every kid as a, you know, a possible perp or something like this, you know? And, uh, and so what I would do is I would play in the, in the band during football season. I, I play trumpet and I, I'd play with a band and they'd let you dance and do different things in the stands and <laughs> revert to 16. And, and I also would play pickup games of soccer. And, mm. and it's funny because when you do stuff like that, the kids get to know you a little bit. And I used to have to tell them, now, look, you need to understand something. Don't come to me because you get in trouble and think that because you were talking to me when we were playing soccer and stuff or playing in the stands that you're going to have to, then I'm going to just look the other way and you're not going to get in trouble. You got to, you know, you're kind of, <laughs> um, skate nice with the devil here <laughs> because if you yeah. do something, I, you know, it's, you're going to do it. And the, uh, um, and there's going to be trouble coming. So I, I did those types of things to help keep me in that world. And that was yes. very helpful because the kids then saw it helped twofold. It helped me get <clears throat> to um, know kids who weren't always in trouble and yeah. it helped um, them get to know me and see me as a real person. Mm. So.
2: Yeah. As soon as they see you as a, as a human being, you you've got to weigh in yes yeah. the point it doesn't matter how hard the, how hard the student is you've got to weigh in um, I mean, and that really helps i
0: was at a school i was at a school where it's a co-ed school but the girls were thriving and the boys were basically walking zombies it was a quite interesting
1: wow. way especially
0: in my classroom at least um, and you could see it on the results as well it was basically a perfect 50-50 split and all mm. the girls are at the top all the boys are at the bottom and then if you put that down to
2: the boys just deciding they wouldn't make the effort because it's easier then to say Oh, I didn't even try Mm. as opposed to compete.
0: Yeah, I think so. And they weren't connecting with the teacher. But I went down at lunch and they were all playing basketball. And I play a little basketball myself. Um, I got into basketball in 07. He's not bad, actually. He's not
2: bad.
1: He's (laughs) nice. nice.
0: Yeah. My favorite is a bit of an Americanism. My favorite team is the Boston Celtics. I got into them with the big three, KG, Mm. Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. Very
1: cool. Very cool.
0: But, uh, yeah, so I was – I just started playing i was on lunch duty but i the ball kind of bounced towards me and i picked it up and instead of (laughs) passing it back i had a shot and it just so happened to go in that day and they're like oh how'd you get that shot sir and then from there on i was just playing basketball with them and these were the lads that were in my class so when i went back they were endlessly talking it was playoff time They're endlessly talking to me about who's going to be mvp who's going to make the finals who's going to get knocked out so and then as soon as they saw me as someone that likes basketball, I mean, that's all it took. And, then, and they were coming up to me at lunch and showing me the live scores. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's something that kind of mimics what you were doing, Steve, is that you, you jump on board, even if it's a sport or a co-curricular activity or something along those lines. That's, that's the beauty. And there was another story that I heard where this young girl, young woman teacher um, was in a class with mainly rugby boys, big rugby bullheads. And you couldn't get, you would be shocked to see that they're the same species, (laughs) completely different humans. And she was really struggling to connect with these boys. They kind of saw her as just some young punk, like, Mm. who's this girl? You know, I'm not going to listen to her. And so one day she found out where their rugby carnival was and it was down at the Gold Coast, maybe about two, two hour drive from Brisbane. And she just got in her car in her free time and went and watched them, went to the rugby carnival, helped them. I think she was a, a runner or a water boy or something along those that's lines. Right. And yeah. then from there, they took her under her wing. Mm. And then anytime any other kid mucked up in class, they went, "Oi, you don't do that to miss. And they kind of, that's all it took. And then from there, her behavior management issues reduced massively. And they, awesome. they saw her as a human.
2: It's a support. I mean, on a serious note, I remember being teaching in England just after 9-11, okay? So that was a, a very, very difficult time in the world. And yes. We had um, probably 30% Muslim um, Muslim population in our school. A lot of the lads were Indian, Pakistani descent, played a lot of crickets, and there was a real segregation starting to happen in the playground. And I played cricket at a relatively high level when I was young. So I'd go and play with them, you know what I mean? Because it was an important thing to try and bridge the – bridge that divide that you could see happening in the in the in the playground that potentially could be quite dangerous you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I think they appreciated the connection that was the point because they kept coming out to me and doing the same thing as Liam was saying with basketball they keep saying talking about crickets and how bad England were mainly um things <laughs> like that and you know it was it was good but it, it formed a connection at a time where it was very very difficult and it was an important thing to do because you could see socially things needed to change Does that make sense? Yes. And um, if you can enact some form of change or you can can change the way that students think, shift their paradigm a little bit, that's one of the the greatest powers you've got, particularly as a beginning teacher. Um, It's a little harder for you and I perhaps at our stage of life (laughs) to connect with students, but your youth can actually be an advantage in some respects. So don't look at it and think, oh, I don't know anything as a beginning teacher. Use it to your advantage. If you have an area that you're passionate about and it might connect with your students take full advantage
1: of it Mm. that's awesome advice i mean that's you know one of the things that uh connecting and building relationships is so important and it's all it's there's no you can't there's no gene there's no genie in a bottle it's 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 who you are and what you're comfortable doing and it's how you approach it and and a big part of it though is seeing them as real people and they realize that as opposed to uh they you know they don't matter or it's i'm going to do stuff to you you know it's like you're going to have be (laughs) historyified whatever yeah that's right it's crazy so you know it's
2: when we talk about standardized testing we've all got a common enemy and it's the standardized test the students do the teachers do we all all know that. i think that solidarity can sometimes work in favor as well
1: that 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 it can i i do have to say that uh, it doesn't it doesn't fail to uh, if they see you just totally human at some point where uh, you know, and I think some teachers don't understand this. Like if you make a mistake and you admit that you made the mistake, and you go, "Okay, we need to trap back up because there's a problem here," <laughs> and I was the problem. Yeah. And yeah, I always thought that was kind of cool. The uh, um, when you saw that work in your favor, so
0: I might throw Scott under the bus here. you so much. Can you, can <laughs> no, you tell great. them about when you had to
2: teach Italian? <laughs> yes. When I first got to Australia, um, I was with my ex-partner and uh, I was looking for a job and a contract came up for teaching Italian and I speak French. I don't speak Italian. All right? <laughs> so nice, I'm, I'm a trained nice, French teacher, but not Italian. And I, did confess this, I did confess this in the interview and they went, oh, look, it's close enough. And I was like, <laughs> what? So I ended up teaching Italian from the textbook. I was literally just saying a lesson ahead of them. I'm using, because French and Italian have got the same roots, so to a degree you can block. Yes. I'd struggle to think about some of the Italian accents these kids would have had when they're old. Yes. <laughs> you know? nice. Nice. But that's just
0: one, the one example of appearing human and saying, look, yeah. I don't I, know I, Italian either. I, I literally
2: had to say to them, listen, I'm learning at the same time as you are, okay? So if we're not sure, we'll look together. It's okay.
1: That's you know? awesome. That would be on the right planet. That's what I'm
2: talking about. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's close enough. Close enough is good enough. But well, no, I think, I think, honestly, if you do make a mistake in the classroom, owning that mistake and, and saying that and, and, and showing students particularly how you cope with that mistake is the most valuable lesson in there, that teachable moment, because we all make them. It doesn't matter whether they're intentional or not. Um, you know, that very often mistakes can be complete can be, can be oversight, It can be well intentioned, do you know what I mean? Yes. But I think students seeing you cope with a mistake and adapt and be resilient and move past it, that's the best lesson you can possibly teach any student, I'd suggest.
1: That's awesome. Hey, I'm gonna pause for just a second because I'm looking at the time here. And are you guys still good with time?
2: Yeah, we're oh, Yeah, 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 yeah for we're sure. Fine. Yeah. Okay, so I just wanna make
1: I wanna make sure of that because I, I wanna be respectful <laughs> of your time.
2: I you no, no, don't worry. We're okay. on holidays. Oh, awesome! I did not, did yeah, we're here. on holidays. So it's our summer holidays here now. Okay, cool. So, so, so I,
1: I want to make sure I ask that question because I'm looking, going, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to skip to the bottom right now." <laughs> no, I'm shouting breakfast after this, so he's quite happy. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, take your time. I I'll yeah. find well, the best, the most subscribed to podcast is Joe Rogan's, and he talks his podcast guy for like four hours. Or something. Yes, so, yeah, really? yeah, yeah, that's great. Ridiculous. So. I, I love long form podcasts. There Ricky was, a- was
2: like that. You know the really yeah. breaking one in England, the Stephen Merchant. Yeah. they just freeform for like three hours. I was
0: talking to someone that wanted to do mirror cracky somewhat and, and come up with a podcast and and do kind of teacher tuba type stuff, and they said, "So we're going to do podcasts, and we might interview people for about like five ten minutes." I'm like, "No, <laughs> podcast, <laughs> oh, right. podcasts, People works. chuck them in, on in the car or have them on the headphones as they're walking somewhere. So yeah. you have it two three hours, or so. it's fine. Yeah, but that that's that is the." medium to do.
2: I of one of with Kim concept. went on for about two hours I think and it got edited down Dan yeah, obviously <coughs> nice. she edited it as she saw that she needed to um, but nice. that's the point is that something will happen during the, that conversation you go I'll, I'll take that I'll use that I'll add that in do you know what I mean? It, so, it makes it oh, easier definitely.
0: for you somewhat because then you can you can cherry pick yeah. rather than if if you're doing ten minutes, those ten minutes better be goals. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. right. Yeah. Well, I'm That's on fine. the
1: same planet with you. The, the reason why I write questions out as a and I call them a guide is because I've actually had some people who don't want to talk very long, and I'm like, well, I don't. I, I'll do thirty minutes at the least. <laughs> but I didn't really those is, that, 30- is
2: that the case? I'm really surprised.
1: I've had a couple who have said that. Now most people are excited about being able to talk longer, and yeah. uh, which is kind of a cool thing. Especially I've got some right now. I've got some. Um Book authors that love the fact that i 'm that i 'll go an hour if if they need to or more and they uh which is cool but i do the I learned to do the questions because of people who would actually answer things that are not yes or no questions and i 'd say i 'd ask the question they'd go yeah. And I'm looking, going. That's not a yes or no question. How do you How do you say <laughs> yeah or no to that? And so it's it gives coming. me something yeah. to lo- rely on to go. Okay, I'm going to go to the next one. Let's Let's move on. Yeah. So, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'll pick back up then. And And uh, so, you know, What I'd like to do is uh, let's Let's really let's talk a little about teacher dra- uh, drought. What do you mm. think causes it? I mean, because we've got the you know we got the terminology is the same. I mean, we got this teacher drought going on. What What do you mm. think's causing it? And what What do you think we can do to to help? Uh, well, Interfere with
0: yeah. it. I'm doing a thesis on it at the moment uh, nice. because the, you brought it up just then everyone's understanding of it is radically different especially in Australia where it's such a large country and all the states kind of especially Victoria <laughs> kind of Victoria bias um, and other states like that they, they're very um, introspective and they see it as kind of individual problems not as a national issue so if you talk to anyone in Australia there's most likely going to be a a different perspective on it. And that's probably the first issue that I would mention. Um, But the stats in Australia, at least, they're quite hard to get your head around. Um, The number that gets thrown out a lot is about 52% of beginning teachers within the first five years of their careers in Australia drop out of the profession and just quit entirely. Um, But if you break it down sector by sector, um, it, it paints a little bit of a different story. Um, regional and remote schools in Australia are, are, the, are the worst in terms of attracting teachers even to begin with not just losing teachers but getting teachers out there there's towns in Australia in the, in roundabout about the middle of the country especially regional Queensland um, it takes days to get there by car that you know little mining towns or things of that nature um, to getting any teachers out there whatsoever is incredibly <coughs> difficult. So the dropout rate is also massive because teachers usually come from the city and only stay there maybe for a few months, maybe a year, and then go back again. Those dropout rates are in the high 80%. Um, and then, but then it's also difficult for beginning teachers because there's actually an oversaturation of teachers in certain markets. <clears throat> primary school teachers, generalist primary school teachers in the city there's actually an oversaturation. And then in secondary, it's subject by subject. Maths and science really struggle. Um, English and history, not so much. But if we're talking about the teacher drought, there's so many different things that kind of encapsulate that issue that it's difficult to just call it the teacher drought, especially
2: in Australia. Well, I think if I'm looking looking at if I suppose if you were drivers of this particular teacher drought, I would imagine... These will be similar across the three countries that we've, we've talked about. Uh, time pressure, I think. Feeling there's not enough hours in the week. Um, workloads, balancing that, that workload. Um, it would be, I suppose, if you want administrative stresses, you know, externally, mm. politicians putting them in as targets for all teachers to hit. Um, there would be, I suppose, the idea of pay, perhaps, as well, um, in certain states or certain territories. Um, you know, these are all drivers as well. These are all reasons why the draught is an issue. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Coping strategies would be a massive one. Yeah. I would imagine it depends on the, the nature of your practice when you're, when you're training as a student at university. Um, what, what level of practice can you actually experience? If you do what I did, which is where I did a full degree in English and French, and then do a year's conversion into teacher training, which is tough. Do you know what I mean? That's what the British system is, with the PGCE for secondary teachers. Um, so I did an English and French degree and literally three or four weeks into my year's conversion, I was chucked into the local state school in Southampton in England, which was quite tough. And I had no coping strategies whatsoever. And you get chewed up for six weeks. That's what happens. You learn on the job. That's hard. I don't think there's any gradated um, way of getting people slowly into the job there. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you have your experience is a little bit different, wasn't it? Mm.
0: Yeah. I did a Bachelor of Education and, and practical experiences interspersed through all throughout all of those four years. But from doing a bit of a a meta-analysis and going out and doing qualitative interviews with beginning teachers, the things that they raise all the time is that they feel stuck in limbo, that they're in the middle, that universities and colleges and schools and workplaces assume that the other is doing the actual reality of the support. Yeah. Whereas being in a classroom is actually really quite difficult. There's nothing like it, especially if you just come from a school yourself. And suddenly you're the role model, and you're the teacher in the classroom. And it can be lonely. You can You've be lonely. Got thirty people looking, thirty kids looking up at you. Uh, it can be quite stressful. So the problem is, is that universities and colleges assume that the workplaces are doing the development, and vice versa. And in the meantime, no one's doing it properly. So beginning teachers go in and they feel like they're not prepared for the realities of the profession, and then that leads on to the next issue. And Scott mentioned it briefly there. It's called satisfice. Uh, within the industry that I work in it's basically the best of the best finding solutions short-term solutions that just fix the things in the meantime you know you may yell at a student once and that gets maybe a short-term reaction it's not going to work in the long term that's the very nature of it. it is short-term solutions that aren't actually in a professional development course or in their development whatsoever. It's something that they've just kind of discovered on their own that maybe that works in the short term, but it's like a house of cards. Eventually that's going to collapse and they're going to be burnt out, especially if they're going it alone. And something that compounds this is that beginning teachers, my generation, teaching's becoming very casual in nature. Uh, You get a maybe a, a short term contract for someone that's going out on maternity leave, or you do a short term contract in the regional school or you're a substitute teacher. um, And usually these teachers feel isolated from the classroom or don't receive formal support because they're not in the mainstream of the teachers. And so they do these short term solutions. They feel on the outer. And so you can't really blame them for thinking that if they don't have those support networks um, and all, and maybe a problem happens thinking that it's just their problem and just dropping out and doing something else, especially when you can get equal pay or greater pay for doing something else. So it is it is a problem and that's what's facing things in Australia. A lack of support, short-term solutions that they're just coming up with on the fly and then being kind of islands and not being in the mainstream because it's becoming more casual in nature. I mean, all of those ingredients come up with a cocktail that you assume is going to be the teacher drought. I think if you look at it that way, it's no wonder people quit the profession.
2: I think what's interesting too is that when we've done our events, we've done you know, a few symposium events where it's almost like a Reddit, it's almost like an AMA Reddit, where people just throw questions at you in real time. (laughs) A lot of the students are anxious. They're anxious about what if a chair gets thrown at me? What if I have a a medical condition that needs to be disclosed in an interview? What if um what if I run out of time in a lesson? What if the students don't respond? You know? These are these are intrinsic questions that would wake you up at three in the morning. You know, so you look at it and go, there's a lot of reassurance that needs to be given as well. But there are ways and strategies around things. And sometimes it's very overwhelming, I would imagine, in the first couple of years of your career, if you're starting there, where that formal support probably isn't there. I was lucky enough when I was young, and I don't know whether you were similar, where we had a teacher who would almost walk alongside you for the year and mentor you. And so I had the smallest, fiercest maths teacher I've ever seen in my life, Andrea Perry. She wasn't even in my faculty. And she just held me to account professionally. said, so where's your marking? Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done this? at the end of the year you had a choice you could pass or fail that was it and it was that it was that cool.
1: That's that's you know having something like that that type of support it's so necessary you know I was (laughs) I was one who uh, uh, because I was moving from one state to another I was going from Florida to Georgia and uh, one of the things that uh, basically I was like I can get a job wherever I graduated got my degree and I'm ready and I'm my wife's going on to to get a uh, um to a masters in mathematics she's went into the corporate world her, and I just told her I said you go wherever you're going I'll get a job there and uh, uh you know I didn't think that in the first couple interviews that I had that it might have been good to mention that I could play, that I could coach soccer or do something That's like right. that Yeah, that exactly is, I didn't think about that at all and so I ended up not getting a job until um November. <laughs> and so I I substitute taught that whole time. And as a substitute, I feel very strongly that you know schools also have to figure out how to support substitutes because just like you were talking yes. about a minute ago, you're left on your own and you are by yourself. And most people don't even acknowledge once they figure out that you're a sub, it's like, oh you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you go <laughs> down. Yeah. You see them cracking
2: knuckles, go, ah, oh, here we go.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you can and see so you, it. Yes. And you have to figure out how you I mean you know your world. And you know, one of the things I ran into was my very first, I'll never forget, my very first sub job was in a, a history teacher, right? I'm trying to be a history teacher. And my very first sub job is in a graphics arts class where there's all oh, these wow. machines and cool things. And there's a little note that has this assignment and it says, have the kids do these, do these questions and don't let them touch the machines and good luck. That's what it said. Wow. And I'm like, and it was in the basement of the school. Literally, I could have been like duct taped to the ceiling and nobody oh knows. So, yeah. But it was, you know, it's one of those things that, so I developed a stick, you know, if I, if I went into a classroom that didn't have enough stuff and I knew it was going to be done like that, you know, I, I developed my own like stand up routine, mm.
2: <laughs> That mm. you know, that,
1: and, and I became Mr. Entertainer and that's how I survived yeah. that. And I learned, I learned a lot about it so that when I go into my first teaching job, which I did not have, which you had. I basically took the the job of somebody else who had had to leave and they meet me right before our Thanksgiving holiday. And so I get to meet them. And then after Thanksgiving, they have me as their teacher. And what was uh, interesting is that a lot of the staff did, it was a big school. It had somewhere around 2000 kids and no one, you know, there were a lot of staff in this school that didn't even know who I was, that I was a teacher until we had a work day that came up and I got, rightly introduced to people but you know it's it's one of those things where you're like I know that loneliness and that type of stuff you have to be comfortable with this is what I'm expecting you know and that's and uh and figuring out what you're doing and then what would happen is as you start developing connections you would have some people who would then take you under their wing and say hey let me what is there something I can help you with and but Mm. you you gotta a lot of times ask which some won't so
2: I think what's interesting too I would imagine when you become an administrator as you have you'd be more sympathetic towards substitute
1: teachers because you've been one. Thanks <laughs> very, much, very much. So. Mm. Very yes, much absolutely. so. Matter of fact, I would harp on the idea that you need to have your, your sub plans ready and you know, it's gotta be real because otherwise, yeah. just like you were talking mm. about the, the BS meter, I mean, kids know full well that no, what, what is this? This isn't what we've been yeah. doing. Yeah. And,
0: yeah. And, and Scott mentioned it just before one issue that I think compounds the teacher drought is that lack of formal support and formal mentors Um, especially when things go wrong and you have those nightmare lessons. Um, one of my biggest nightmare lessons was that on my very first prac, I walked in and, um, my teacher said, Oh, I have to go to this teacher conference, but you go with the sub. Um, and then. I'll go off and and it'd be good because the sub's kind of at the same level as as you. You're just a random guy that's walking into a classroom. You can actually see how the kids would hypothetically react. So when you start teaching, you can kind of get a better gauge of it. So I was like, all right, okay, that's fine. And young teacher, I don't want to say anything. So I went with the sub teacher and there was a real big language gap um, between me and the sub teacher. I think he was Polish. And I walked in and he asked me if i was a teacher and i said no i'm a teacher but i'm a supervising teacher i'm a i'm a practical experienced teacher and he didn't understand any of that he mm. just understood the word teacher so he mm. thought there was a double up mm. scheduling mm. and he went oh okay and he just gave me all the resources and walked off
1: nice <laughs> crazy
0: and this was wow. 5 to 10 minutes into the lesson i didn't know where student services was i didn't know who to teach i, I didn't know what to do and I just took the lesson and like you said, there was some measly little worksheet and I had, I think it was almost a double as well. And these grade sevens, I was doing persuasive speaking as well. And they'd never done that before. And here I was as a track teacher taking this lesson for the first time. So I broke it up sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. I got them in groups discussing what they thought I did. um, Got them doing kind of mock speeches and then grading each other like i came up with every trick of the book yeah. to try and d- at least just get, drag that get to that drag bell. i dragged it out, dragged like, it yeah. out massively it out. Oh. go have a drink spread guys and That's just right. extend that five minutes in yeah. um so and then the next day i saw one of my colleagues uh he wasn't there and then i asked where he was and his mentor teacher said that he had dropped out the night before Wow. And I was wondering why and I was reflecting back And the day before I saw him walking into a classroom with that same substitute teacher. So I'm assuming that sub did the same thing to him and his class didn't go well as did mine. Mine didn't go well as either, but I have teachers in the family. uh, I knew Scott as well. So I was able to put that into context and say, Oh, that happened because of this. They saw you as this. They saw you as that you didn't have this planning. So that's why the kids did that. It's not because you're a bad teacher.
2: No, but there are some cowboys out there. That's
0: yeah, the point. Exactly. So I think,
2: I think the worst hospital pass I ever got thrown, ever, was a sex ed lesson. Oh, right? dear. This is biology. Nice. Nice. 15, 16 year old boys, three of whom were dads already. All right? And I've got half an hour to go, and the video's just broken down. And they're halfway through everybody on the menstrual cycle. That was the <laughs> nice. worst half hour of my life. Have, <laughs> so, so, if you don't, so if
0: yeah. you don't have teachers in the family, you don't have those mentors, then you, you're a bit of an island. Um, especially if that was an early career. Imagine if that was the first day of your job. Oh, yeah,
2: totally, yeah. As well, it wasn't yeah, even yeah, your prac. Yeah. yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. Um, if you don't have those support networks, and it's very easy to say, especially if you go on Facebook and all your teacher friends, Facebook, you only post the best of the best. You don't post yourself right. in your undies at 2 in the morning, real, eating corn question. chips, watching Netflix. You you go, post, what do I
2: do with this lesson plan? You post parties
0: you and you... <laughs> yeah standing next to supermodels yeah right. so the, team, the equivalent of that is posting you know their kids crying when they have to leave and chocolates and wines and oh i've got a job and this Not, is going to be so great and then you right. think oh maybe i'm the steward it's like that yeah. jerry seinfeld sketch when he said when you see the drink ad of the drink you're drinking and they're jumping and there's yeah. girls in bikinis and he's thinking Maybe there's too much ice in line. <laughs> it's kind of the exact same thing. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not cut out for it. Maybe yeah, maybe it's me. Maybe it's me, maybe I'm not right for it. Rather, so you need to have those support teach teachers or support. And networks. I suppose that's
2: why that's where we've tried to intrude a little bit and say, listen, it isn't you, you know? It is the job. We all feel that way. And it's very easy to be an island, you know this. Oh, it's yeah. very easy to be an island in education and to feel that you're the only one who's suffering or that isn't finding things easy. And the honest truth is everyone's the same. You know, we all have to cope with constant change. And very often that's overtly political Politicians trying to change the game on us because they all went to school once and think they understand. Oh
1: my gosh. Yes, you are so right. That is something. It's so true, isn't it? It is so true. And that's, (laughs) therefore, I am an expert on this. And uh, yes, that's, uh, you know, that's, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that you're talking about is that if you can explain have that person take an interest in you. Like, uh, you know, I, I, i benefited from my student teaching. How, um, how that worked was I went through my four year program and, uh, you, I'm doing the education part with my history part. And, and then that last year was, student teaching and I'm working in a school and what was awesome was I had a a great mentor teacher in that situation who brought me in early since I was able to do that he reached out to me and said hey can you come in during the summertime instead of waiting to the fall and I said yeah and he goes he goes that way I'll show you how we do different things and that what really helped there was so then the rest of the staff thought that I was a teacher
2: (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) actually I'm paying to do this (laughs) and uh um, but it, they saw me as a teacher, parents met me, kids met me and stuff like this. And I got to know the lay of the land and it really was helpful as, plus he was also a teacher who took things, you know, water rolled off his, it rolled off his back, the different problems. And so I saw that and, uh, that was very helpful, but it, you know, I, it's when they had the opposite experience, just like you said, whatever the situation is, they suddenly start thinking, you know, what's going to happen when I'm up there in front and what if i don't say the right thing or what if i don't do the right thing or you know what if i you know what if i what if i what if i <laughs> yes.
2: yeah yeah the reality is never as bad you know if, if you if you get up there and you actually try to deliver and the kids see you try to deliver someone's going to connect that's the point yes you know they're going to connect they're not going to stand there and just look at you like a bunch of you know wax dummies it's not going to happen you know no. you're going to elicit a reaction of some form my, so, you know love that's that. the
1: thing yeah i was going to say one of my favorite uh, um, memories is that uh, the kids I didn't realize I had this habit but they um, as uh, some of the kids told me one time they said uh, did you know that when uh, when everything's not going the way you kind of want it that you'll you'll look at the class and then you'll go well anyway (laughs) and and, and that that whole pause and well anyway they were good at imitating me and this was after they realized that they could Oh, you want to see the
2: cruelest stand-up in the world it's an imitations of you
1: Yes, by your yes. students
2: because they <laughs> yes. are dead on. They, they, they see every nuance, they miss nothing, they miss absolutely nothing. You know,
1: it's so. That's, that's so funny when they can do that. Let's, you know, let's, let's kind of shift gears a little bit here because you know, one of the things you've talked a little bit about and you've touched on is there's a difference that the, 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 the rural regions versus the metropolitan areas, and that it seems like you, you got a lot of people want to be in the metropolitan areas, not so much in the rural areas, but the rural areas need people. And but there's certain challenges out there. What do you, what what are some of those challenges that you see? And uh, let's let's go from there. Let's kind of talk about uh, how we can help them get teachers.
0: Well, before we went on air, we were both talking about our our Latvian heritage and our families, and it, it reminds me of my great grandfather. He was the policeman in this tiny little Latvian town, but he was also the town's marriage counselor. He was the town's lawyer. He was the town judge. You know. He was, a, he was seen as so many different roles in a, as, an author, uh, uh, as an authoritarian in that small town. And it's something similar in regional teaching in Australia where you're not just a teacher where you can just rock up at nine, leave at 3.30. If you're in a tiny little country town and, and your, whole, your whole town and your whole school is maybe 40, 50 students, if that, I think there was one school I heard that had eight students and then 100 kilometres down the road, there was another eight students. <laughs> and the beginning teacher was just coming out of university and she was already the head of department for this region wow. um, just because they lack so many staff. So I think one element of regional teaching that may be a bit of a challenge, maybe a bit of a positive as well, is that you are maybe not perhaps expected, but there are maybe additional things that you have to think of because you're more of a pillar of that community than yes. you are when you're in a massive town,
2: I think. It's a, different, it's a different job altogether. I mean, that's the thing. You've got to understand that the pastoral side of things in the rural area is so so, so much of a driver of what you do. Mm-hmm. But to a degree, the students see that you're interacting and you're happy to blend in and, and become part of an experience. You're going to get really good work out. them. That's, that's the difference. So it's more a mindset thing. I think it's adjusting your, your mindset rather than looking at it and going, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I want to stay to metro areas. That's not necessarily going to be the best thing for you as a practitioner. You know? And I would always encourage people to go rural or or go and work in the state sector, you know, or the public sector. And and actually, you know, in the first three, four, five years of your career, be quite adventurous because then you do know where you fit. That's the point. Mm. You can't turn around and say you don't know if you like something if you never try it.
0: Mm. Another element that is a challenge, especially in Australia, is that in regional and remote areas, you are dealing with um, Indigenous communities as well. And they, they, kids are kids. That's something that I've learned very quickly because I, I was yeah, exactly. working with Indigenous students at the boarding house and they were from remote communities as well. But they do have different values. Um, and so you have to be, have more of an open communication with those communities and those elders about what they value for their education because... In indigenous communities it may be different from mob to mob but as one thing that they do is that they have these learning treks basically where the elders take out the students uh, which are the young young um people just going through puberty as, as almost like a little trek little camp and they take them away and they do all these kind of learning activities and then they come back as men um may vary um, but that's something that they do within their culture. I, mean, we, I suppose we do something like that in our culture as well. But if you are going into those communities with high percentages of uh, Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander students, keep in mind that you have to be open with those communities and, and work with them because I yeah. think they're your best allies as well, especially if you're coming from someone that's always grown up in the city. It's that
2: collaborative aspect of education. Mm, exactly. But you know, a little bit like we're collaborating now in some respects. You know, if you're prepared to open up your mind a little bit, you'll learn a huge amount that you can then parlay into something later in your career. So it might be cultural sensitivity. It might be the certain strategies that you use in those situations you can you can use in other transferable areas. You know, further on in your career. So look at it almost as an additional degree. That'd be my advice. You know,
1: that's an awesome thought about it because that actually is. (laughs) That's the only thing that's missing is the piece of paper because if you allow yourself, you'll get an education that's. not just about education. It's about learning, you know, how to cope, how to deal with, how to help them deal with whatever they're dealing with and, and that type of thing. So it's good stuff. That's yeah. Right on, um, right on. Oh, yeah, that's a little seventies sounding. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, remember have, I, I had one experience with the Sikh family um, in England where the son was the last of four boys that had gone through the school. It was an all boys school. This is the same school I was talking to you about earlier and he had been caught stealing people's mobile phones, the cell phones. Right, and selling them at a black <laughs> market profit. Nice. being caught by his father doing it, right? And he disappeared from school for a week, just didn't come, right? His tendency to be 100% until then. And so after a week, I'm ringing home. They went, We're keeping him at home, we're, we're dealing with him in our own way. And I said, like, Okay, interesting. And after another week, I ran up and said, Is he coming back this term at any point? And I said, Well, we'll schedule a family conference if that's all right. And so I thought it would just be the, the father that came in. No, the whole family came in, including the extended family, uncles, grandfather. Grandmother, Um, the eldest son came in from his job as a manager at Heathrow Airport, took time off to come in, right? So there's 15 of them in the room with me, right? (laughs) Because they, and the father was sitting at the table like a king, basically. And Baldi, the boy, was in the corner, wasn't allowed to look at them, right? And he said, Look, he's brought great disgrace to our family. um, And the role of teacher is akin to the role of the father in our family. Do we stop, you know, sending him to Coventry, basically, ignoring it? I was like, I think it's time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I think it's time to bring him back in the folds. You know, it's let it go now sort of thing, you know. But you look at it and go, you learn a lot there about the idea of, of other, other cultures and how they, how they perceive certain things. Like I'm teaching a lot of Vietnamese students at the moment who are very, very deferential to authority. Do you know what I mean? If you mm-hmm. raise your voice with Vietnamese students, they don't like it at all. Do you know what I mean? They really get quite upset by it They're quite sensitive at my school. So you look at it and go, you learn a lot. You learn a lot from seeing that. And um, it is about cultural sensitivity and being aware of the fact that in your room, you probably have multiple ethnicities and multiple ways of viewing the same situation. So going out to, for instance, work with Torres Strait Islander or Aboriginal students will be invaluable because you'd learn that if you, particularly if you grew up in a metro area your whole life and you're not necessarily aware of that kind of a thing if you've had a fairly sheltered upbringing.
0: I could, I could just say, if you do have that opportunity to jump at that opportunity, because, um, I, the beginning of my teacher training, it was classrooms that made sense to me. It's the same thing that I went to at school. Yeah. And then I went to one school and I went with one teacher and he had all the English second language students yes. chucked in one classroom. Yeah. And it was kids from Vietnam, China, Japan, India, um, some from the middle East, um, all in the one classroom, and they're all reading a book that was had a lot of Aussie slang in there, yes. and the whole class was basically trying to understand Aussie slang. Nice. And you were dealing with cultural difference, uh, language barriers, and it was so fun to come up with things that they understood. So there was one. I think it was based in the. They went to the Queen Victoria Markets in Melbourne, which is this famous. Um, market deli goes across several blocks uh, very famous in australia but they didn't really understand what like a farmer's market was um so they were kind of talking about their equivalents and the chinese yeah. students were talking about how they have you know little street markets and they have the street food and Japan, yeah. japanese students were saying they have those hot pots with the meat yeah. that they dip in yeah. and everyone was talking about the different things from their different cultures and that was my favorite class and i probably yes, wouldn't if you too. told me that that was going to be my favorite class i probably wouldn't have believed you but that was something that i absolutely loved and something that i didn't expect so if you do have something like that i'll jump at that opportunity because you never know what you're going to fall in love with as a teacher
2: well it comes down to access that one word access can students access what you're trying to teach you know i mean so in that situation everybody was able to access it in their own way you know and and develop something
1: that's so awesome this is uh you know it's because you're touching on all kinds of awesome aspects of teaching that are just, you know, it is, it, that's what makes it so wonderful. If you allow yourself to be part of this experience and, and figure out and learn that, you know, you don't know it all. And you're not going to know it all. And, and if you allow yourself to become part of uh, that world that you're in and learn and learn from the kids while they're, they're learning from you and allow yourself to make mistakes. And like you're saying, you're staying up and you know trying to recover from whatever. So you're binge watching Netflix. Yes. At like, you know three in the morning <laughs> yeah that's right we've all had long nights in the soul like that don't worry. <laughs> yes we've you know it's there. like oh my gosh yeah yeah i think it's i got an hour I, I can actually get an hour of sleep if i go to bed now you know and, um, yeah <laughs> all right forget it i'm just <laughs> we'll get, yeah, yeah. yeah we've all been there it's yeah, funny yeah. when i um when i first started teaching in this one school they they found out quickly that and it's just funny i don't know how they found out i think it was simply by some kid asking me boy, you look awful tired this morning. It was like on a Monday. And what had happened was my wife, who was in the corporate world, she had gotten sent to a uh, another state. And so I would go visit her on the weekends because they had her up in an apartment. She was doing all this uh, um, statistical modeling type stuff, figuring out uh, um, what data told told <laughs> told them. And she'd share it with the company and this team and all this stuff. And they're working in this other state. So I'd go up, stay with her on the weekend. And I'd come back in Monday morning. <laughs> Oh, drive, wow. you know, been driving Assets, for a yeah. while and the kids yeah. it's funny because the kids thought um they i became very real to them because i explained <laughs> that yeah, this is yeah. happening and it was it was yeah. rather interesting so but it's it but you have to you know getting back to what you were talking about, this, giving it a chance, learning in, you know, going to be part of and wanting to go experience being in the rural areas versus the metropolitan. And then in the metropolitan, then you got your different choices too. I don't know about in, in your worlds, but in the States, you know, you've, you have, uh, you know, some of the more urban areas you're going to have, you're going to be challenged for a whole different culture as well. And uh, um, which uh, and all of that just is going to help to me. It makes you look more well-rounded as you start figuring out where kids are like, each other and where they're not and what things kind of make them tick and what, what don't. And, you know, it's, uh, it gets good stuff. Let me, let me kind of shift gears here. Let's talk specifically. And we've kind of touched on some of this stuff, but let's talk a lot. Let's start talking a little bit about more about teachers. And, uh, you know, one of the things I heard you talking about on a, on a podcast, uh, on one of your podcast episodes, Liam was, uh, he talked about anxiety and nervousness. And, you know, it's funny that, uh, there's a lot of things that scare soon to be teachers. And uh, one of the things that I think is very scary is the first day of school, <laughs> the first day of mm-hmm. class. And I don't mean when you're working with the other teachers. I mean, that day that you're going to walk in, you're the brand new teacher. The kids are going to come in and you're their teacher. And uh, yeah. you know, let's, let's talk about that just a bit, a little bit. So, you know, what do you think a new teacher could do to prepare for that first day? Let's do this. Hey, so what do you think so far? Aren't Scott and Liam awesome? Yeah, I think so, too. Well, next week, the conclusion of our talk about ending the teacher drought, school, kids, and teachers. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators.